This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to read something to you this morning. I don't want you to read it because I want to read it out of the message. Sorry, out of the Passion. So unless you have the Passion translation, let me read it. I'll give you the reference, but you can take it and you can look it up yourself. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 3 to 7 and then verses 21 and 22. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which he showered upon us in Christ Jesus. Verse 21, this entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completely as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, The Anointing is Looking for Influence. The Anointing is Looking for Influence. It doesn't matter where you are right at the moment. You're not where God wants you to be. God is busy working in our lives. He's busy doing something because you are not the representation ultimately of what God has called you to be. So he's busy working in us and he's doing something in us to take us somewhere. The thing about it is the reason that God is working with us is because God wants us to recognize the fact that he wants to manifest himself through us and have influence in the world. My glory shall cover the earth as the oceans cover the sea. The way that his glory is going to manifest itself, the way that aspects of who God is is going to manifest itself in the world is through believers. He put his life, the Christ, the anointed one on the inside of us. And the reason that he's on the inside of us is so that he can manifest himself in the world. He is there to give evidence of the fact that he is alive and that he is well. He's there to give evidence to the fact that a world that's sitting outside, sitting, saying, I want to hear about what you have to say about Jesus. Show me the evidence is blown over by the fact that we're able to manifest his glory in the world. That's demonstrating the evidence. And so we find ourselves on a pathway where God is taking us somewhere and doing something in our lives. He's transforming us so that we can take who he is in the life, the anointing that's on the inside of us, and make it evident in our world. It's a journey where we're learning and discovering more about how we're able to synchronize our natural life and our spiritual life. We don't always need to gain as much a grasp on our natural lives. In many ways, we've developed those tendencies and we've developed that skill set. The challenge that we have is we're not as aware of the spiritual dimension to our lives and the spiritual realities that define so much of that, what God wants to marry to our natural part. And what we're walking into is an understanding of the invisible set and how that's able to marry itself to our natural and transform who we are and our living so that it reflects who he is. 
In the 1990s, <clears throat> there was a, um, a very famous pop singer. And this pop singer jetted to fame and fortune as a result of her gifting. The thing with it is, is that the singer grew up in a state that was very impoverished. And she grew up in poverty. Her father couldn't afford to feed them. Her father used to go out and go rabbit hunting to be able to get food so that they could eat as a family. She grew up in this environment. And so when she was taken from that environment and her gift took her places where she was celebrated because she was so accomplished in that, it took her from one arena to another. And what ended up happening is she never had the structure in her life to be able to sustain the success that she realized. And so she ended up on a very public stage having a breakdown because what was inside of her was not sufficiently structured to be able to sustain the success that she had accomplished. And there was a very public breakdown in many or any respects as to who she was as a person. As natural people, we grow up in the world. The thing about it is, is that the structure to our life becomes really important. The structure to our life becomes fundamental. Because the thing is, the structure is what supports how we live and how we move. The thing about it is, what God has called us to and what God has invited us into is to forming the structure of our life on his design. What he's looking for is for our structure to be built around the blueprint of the master architect. The problem with it is, all too often we end up on a building program, but we don't have an architect, all we have is a builder. Anytime you have a construction project, you need to have two key elements. You need to have an architect and you need to have a builder. The architect is responsible for the design. He has a look at it and what the building needs to be. And once he's designed that, in order for the building to be successful, he takes those blueprints and he gives them to the builder and he says, I need for you to take this and I want for you to implement it. Both of them understand their responsibilities in that. And if they follow the way that it should work, you end up with a solid structure. The problem with so many people's lives is the architect has been absent. So all we've had is a builder. And a builder's been building and constructing our house. And he's been constructing the, the, found, the, the framework to who we're supposed to be without any blueprints. And the challenge is that so many people are living in a Dr. Seuss house. Have you ever seen Dr. Seuss books? They kind of go like this all over the place. It's constructed. It exists. But it's not solid and it's not established. It doesn't matter what you do to the structure. If the structure is faulty, it will always be compromised. The challenge is so many people have got faulty structures, but we think if we take it and we plaster it with drywall, if we do a really good mud job on it and we paint it a lovely color, people will come in and they will be impressed. They'll love it because we put beautiful molding up and we put lovely artwork on the walls and people come in and they say, I like it. I really like that person. They look so good. They dress so well. They're so amiable. They're so affable. They're so wonderful. They're so generous. They're so nice. But the structure's faulty. And if your structure is compromised, the problem with it is there are going to be times that life is going to place a demand on who you are and what you're all about. And the drywall doesn't matter. It's the structure that matters. If the structure is faulty, we're at odds and we're in trouble because what ends up happening is we're not able to sustain a successful life. 
We spoke last week about the fact that God created the universe. The universe speaks to us about the marrying of heaven and earth. And it's important because it gives us context as to how, as to the environment into which God created man. God put man into a context where heaven and earth, the natural and spirit realm, operated together. They both understood their function and they both operated according to what God's design was. The spiritual realm was there to perform everything that the architect would perform. The spiritual realm was there to set the foundation. It was there to put the framework in place. It was there to put the design in place. The natural realm would take its cue from everything that the architect had done and would make it manifest in the natural world. That's the way the two were supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to be as human beings. God has called us to a life where we understand the contribution of the spiritual realm and the natural realm. You can go the natural realm to the exclusion of the spiritual realm, but you're going to have a pretty hard life in many respects. You may be successful in one area or two, but many other aspects of our life is going to be compromised. The challenge is when we have a compromised structure, we inherit a house that is faulty. Nobody wants to live in a house. You know what we do? Every time we get a house and we move in, we make it home. That's my home. When people talk about their home, what they're saying is, that's the place that I like to live. And because I like to live there, that's the place that I take. And what I begin to do is I begin to make that space a representation of who I am. When I move into a structure that's faulty so that it becomes one with me so that it's not just a house but it becomes a home, I begin to shape the way that I feel according to the structure of my life. I begin to change the way that I think according to the structure of my life. My actions become influenced by the structure of my life and all of a sudden my Dr. Seuss home, uh, house becomes my home. I become comfortable in something which is ultimately compromised. People grow up and they have all kinds of inputs into their life. People grow up with a sense of perfectionism. Perfectionism. When we allow perfectionism to be, to, to assume responsibility for building the structure for our lives, what ends up happening is we move to that place where we make perfectionism as a house, perfectionism a home. So what all of a sudden starts to do is we allow that to inform the way that I feel about myself. If I don't do it exceptionally well, I don't feel good about myself. Any time that I don't perform to the limit, any time that there's anything that is erroneous or not performed to 100%, my sense of self-worth and how I feel about myself is compromised. I look really good because I'm always striving for perfection. And so everybody around me loves what I look like. Gee, give it to that person because they're the one who can make it happen. Give it to that person because you know if you give it to them, it'll be done well. Give it to that person because they're the one who always assumes responsibility. It doesn't matter how much is on their plate. And I'm struggling to take care of all of this stuff. But you know what? I put it on because this is my home. And I hate it. Because I find that as I live out my life, I'm never able to reach the place where I'm always hitting the bar. I'm always hitting that place of perfection. And every time there's something wrong, or even if I can't see it, I'll find it. Because I interrogate it until I feel, you know what, I still could have done a little bit better. I move to the place where I start to criticize everybody around me because everybody around me is not perfect. And what ends up happening is when I have to work with everybody else, I can't be perfect. 
Because you compromising my perfection. So it causes friction. And I begin to recognize that it's a reality. That I have a structure in my life. That is not the way that it should be. I have a structure in my life that's compromised. And the problem with it is I can't run away from it. Because every time I try and run away from it I feel guilty. And so it always brings me back. And I live in a constant state of condemnation about myself. When our structures are faulty and we begin to live from that, we make it a home. And we begin to live from a place that is not functional and not according to what God's design is for our life. God is interested in where you're going. And God is interested in the structure of your life. Your future has been determined by God. But the accomplishment of that, the fulfillment of it, is going to be determined by you. God knows where you are and he's made every provision so that your future can move you to a place of wholeness and wellness and fullness. And he's provided for that. But whether you decide to step into it or not is your prerogative. You are responsible for the fulfillment of what God's plan is for your life. If you go and have a look at, um, just jot these down. Um, Psalm 139 verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you know what it says? I'll tell you what that's saying. What it's saying is this. In God, your future existed before the present. We can't get that. Because we are functional people, so we live in a, in a context called time. Because we're natural. What God is saying there is, in him, your future existed before the present. What he's saying is this. When I knew that Heather was going to be born, what I did is, I came and I went about and I started preparing Heather's life. And I knew where she was going to be educated and I knew where she was going to go and I knew where she was going to work. And I knew the people that she was going to be involved in. And he made preparation all the way through for her to move through life. He created opportunities for her to grow, opportunities for her to expand, opportunities to walk into everything that he has for her. And when he had finished all of her life, he went right back to the very beginning and he said, you know what? And now Heather's mother is going to conceive. He wrote her, the book of her life before she ever existed. God knows what the book of your life is. God has already written it. And that's why God knows that the book of your life is successful. He wrote it. It should give us a sense of peace. It should give us a sense of confidence. Because we know that God has already taken care of that. God already knows and has defined what our end result is, which is to be successful. The responsibility that we have as people is that we have the onus to make sure that we get to the end of the book. Our responsibility is to get to a place where we understand that although God may have designed that and, and put it in place, although God has prepared for us to walk into the fullness of everything that he has for us, whether I elect to do that or not is dependent on my decisions. Your decisions are powerful. Choose ye this way, this day whom ye will serve. 
What is God saying? God's saying, I've prepared a way for you. I know what the book of your life looks like. If you will listen to me and if you'll follow me, I'll take you somewhere. If you follow me, I'll take you to the realization of the ultimate goal of success in life. Success is not defined by people. We spoke last week about this. Success is actually me living my purpose. Success is not accolades. It's not money. It's not accomplishments. It's not titles. Success is all about us living our purpose that God has designed it for us. God has created an opportunity for us to do that. But we choose and we, through our decisions, whether we actually move into that or not. I have three kids. So we started preparing years ago for our kids to go to college. So we started putting away money every month so that by the time Colton reaches college age, his education would be paid for. So by the time that Colton reaches the year of getting into his tertiary education, he would be at a place where his future had been secured. We had provided for it. The security is there. The future is available to him. But what Colton decides to do with that is up to him. Colton can get into college and decide, you know what, who needs to study? I'm going to play football. I'm going to party. I'm going to be a lunatic. I'm going to be irresponsible. So what ends up happening is I don't graduate. The provision was there. The history was, uh, the future was provided for. But whether he chose to take hold of that and whether he graduates is dependent on his decisions. How are we deciding to live life? The way that we decide to live life is going to determine whether we get to the end or whether we don't. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10 says, I set the end before the beginning and then I make known what is to come. I set the end before the beginning and then I make known what is to come. God is saying, I know your future. Your future has been preset. Nothing that you do or nothing about your future is a surprise for me. I've already made provision for that. He's going to tell you about who you are and who he needs you to be in order for you to walk into your future. He's going to be with you and he's going to be encouraging you so that you can step into the fullness of who he's designed you to be so that you can walk into your future. He may even tell you about your future, but he's never going to tell you about the journey. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the. He doesn't say the journey of the righteous man. It says the steps. What he's going to do is he's going to sit and say, you know what? When you come to this place, let's talk about where we're going next. Because you've got to decide which decision are you going to make. I want you to go this way. What are you going to do? The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. What God is saying is this. I know where you're going and I know how to get you there. The thing about it is when I walked into your life, you were nothing like what I wanted you to be. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But Christ in you, the hope of glory. What he's saying is this. I need to prepare you for a future that I have for you. And so what I have is I have something called process. 
I have something that is going to prepare you for who you need to be. And as you journey through life and as you're walking through life, you're going to run into circumstances. You're going to run into challenges. You're going to run into things that, that come up against you. You're going to run, come up against constraints. You're going to come up against all kinds of stuff. Why? Because you don't know what's inside of you unless a demand is placed on you. You didn't know you were so irritable till you got onto 66. You thought you were so patient until you got there and the traffic was held up by some 97-year-old lady who's driving 45 in the fast lane. And then stuff came out of you that you didn't expect. Why? Because as you journey through life, as you go through things, we don't always know what's on the inside of us until a demand is placed on it. And when a demand is placed on it, all of a sudden we're surprised sometimes it was to what comes out. You don't know what kind of a wife you're going to be until you get married. You don't know what kind of a husband you're going to be until you get married. But when you step into that situation, all of a sudden there are going to be demands that are placed on you. And when those demands are placed on you, what it's doing is it's interrogating the structure of your life. And it's saying, are you solid or are you going to wobble? I don't care about the drywall. I don't care about what it looks like. I don't care about your lovely suit and your, your very fancy hairdo. I don't care about your wonderful sense of humor. I want to know about your structure. Amen. Tell me about the structure of your life. Tell me about the structure of your life. God is doing something in us. And we think that, that Christianity is just supposed to be a cakewalk. It's not a cakewalk because we're not perfect. It's not a cakewalk because every time we take a step, what he's sitting saying to us is, I am with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But I want you to see what's coming out of you because it's giving evidence to what exists on the inside of you. And I'm here to make you somebody who can step into their future. What do you want to do with it? He wouldn't tell us our future. He wouldn't tell us, the, he wouldn't tell us our journey because if he told us our journey, all too many of us would just want to stay where we are. When he spoke to Joseph, what did he do? He gave Joseph a dream of his future. Joseph loved it. Everybody's going to come and everybody's going to bow down to me. And I'm going to be so fabulous. And everybody's going to reverence me. And I'm going to be so on a pedestal. It's so fabulous and so exciting. And he loved the vision of the future. But he had no clue about the journey. If he knew his brothers were going to tear his prized coat he may have something to say about it. If he knew he was going to be thrown into a pit, he may have had something to say about it. If he knew he was going to be sold off to a whole bunch of, of camel-riding people through the desert, if he knew he was going to end up in slavery, if he knew he was going to end up in prison, he may have had a whole lot to say about stuff. Because between where you are and where your future is and where God wants you to be, you've got some growing to do. We've got some growing to do. Why? Because we have some structural issues. We have some structural issues. Your future is more powerful than your past. Your future is more powerful than your past. You see, anything that happened in your past is done. It's finished and it's not as important as your future. Whatever happened back there, wherever you grew up, whatever defined who you were, whatever became, were the things that hurt you, whatever mistakes you may have made, it's part of your past. Your past is dead. But we relive it. 
Because we let it affect our thinking and our, our talking all the time. We relive it with frequency because with regularity, all we do is we talk about the past. Do you remember when? Or oh, this is me. This is my self-life. This is what I'm all about. I start speaking about who I used to be because I was formed when I was young outside of the context of God. Well, that's just who I am. It's called the self-life. And as long as you live in the self-life, there's no room in that for God to come in. And what God is sitting saying is, you know what? Those are all things that defined your past. The reason that your future is so powerful is that you can't change your past, but you can influence your future. How do you want to live? Do you want your history to continue to influence it? Or do you want to make some changes? Do you want to make some decisions that fluctuate the way that you live? That make adaptations to the way you live? That change the way that you approach tomorrow? Anything that you've done in your past, you can let go of. 1 John 1 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins, do you not know call the word confess means? It means agree with God. If you agree with God that I shouldn't have done that and I'm going to make some changes to it, God says, you know what we'll do? We'll cut it off. We'll sever it right here so that your past has no influence on your future. Get rid of the past so it doesn't influence your future. Stop dragging our baggage from everywhere that we've been into our future. Philippians 3.13 says, Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward towards those things which lie ahead. Jesus didn't just die to forgive you from your past. He died to give you a future. He wants you to get rid of that stuff. He wants you to let go of all of those things that, that are shackling you. He wants you to get rid of the baggage that you're dragging with you. And he wants you to address the wobbly structure called our lives. And so what he's saying to us is, I want you to do something with that stuff because I have a future for you. It's not that I'm going to just forgive, forgive that. That's only half the equation. But I've prepared you so that you can step into your future and move into everything that I have for you. As long as we live from a place where we shackle to our history, what we end up doing is we live like victims. As long as you shackle to your history, you will live like a victim. Because everything from your past that has defined the structure of your life will define how you feel and how you think. I don't know why I keep going around the same mountain all the time. I don't know why I'm continually just such a bad father. I don't know why I'm always unsuccessful in business. I don't know why I can never deal with criticism in a constructive way. Why? Because the problem with it is all of the stuff from my past and I'm still shackled to, I've never addressed and I've never dealt with any of that stuff. So it's all still part of my, I drag it with me as I move into my future. And you know what? Tomorrow looks exactly like yesterday. What happens in your past is not as important as the future. Your future is potential. You could do stuff with that. You can influence your future. But as long as we're dragging baggage with us, what ends up happening is we, we give it the opportunity to be defined by our past. Don't sacrifice your future to your past. Don't sacrifice your future to your past. So we have some decisions to make. Because things don't just change. 
God gives you the privilege of living your own life. But with privilege comes responsibility. What do you choose? How do you choose to live your life? Choices are important. If you have a look at Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, As a man sinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man sinketh in his heart, so is he. What it's saying is this. Your decisions are the fruit of what lives in your heart. Your decisions are the fruit of what lives in your heart. So it becomes important for us that we begin to understand what God's context is for this and how we walk into that. This is where Galatians 2.20 becomes really important. Where it says to us, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. What is it saying? It's saying in that space where your decisions are going to be made, you have a choice to decide whether you want to live the self-life or whether you want to live according to Christ. You see, when you got born again, his nature came and lived on the inside of you. But what he's looking for is he's looking for the opportunity to define your character. You have no choice about your nature. Your nature is what it is. And when, the, when, when you get born again, your old nature gets passed away and he gives you his nature. But you have a choice about your character. That's the difference between a nature and a character. Character is defined by my choices. What he's saying is you have a choice. You can either go the way of Christ. It's no longer I, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Which way do you want to go? Which way are you leaning? Because you're defining character all the time. What happens is when God's nature becomes the thing that defines my character, what ends up happening is it influences my decision making. And I see things from God's perspectives. I see see things from Jesus' perspective. When it gets to walking into a situation, all of a sudden, when I'm sensitive to the fact that When I have his nature established in my character, I become sensitive to things. And I feel on the inside of me, you know, there are two ways I could go. And I feel the right way is this way, but I've got a choice to make. Do I want to take it or not? I know that's the right way, but I'd feel so much better if I could just smack them. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I feel so much better if I could just take it and nobody would know. I know that I should be doing this, but you know what? The tax man will never find out. There are things, I, I, I know I shouldn't say this, but they deserve it. We know within ourselves, when we start to get his nature established on the inside of our character, it becomes alive on the inside of us. And it's always inviting us into that space where it says, who's going to live when it comes to your decision making? Who is going to live when it comes to your decision making? It becomes important for us because the thing about it is it's a little more complicated than that. It's not just a simple case of sitting saying, I know that God exists. Because the problem with it is, is that so much of our structure of our life has been so established that it forms our being. It's, it, 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 it's our reality. It's what encases us and becomes fundamentally a part of who we are. And when 
your reality is to change, simply getting information isn't going to change it. Simply getting some facts isn't going to change it. It's something that's so much deeper. The structure is something that I've called home for so long that every part of my being is committed to that. My emotional set is wrapped up in that. I think that way, and I can't understand things that, are not, that, that don't conform to that. My being is like that. It's every part of who I am, and now you're exposing me to some other information, and you want me to just change. But it doesn't happen that way. And that's why so many Christians are perplexed. But in that same space is where we discover Philippians 3.10, where it speaks about you get to know him and the power of his resurrection. You get to know him and the power of his resurrection. I need something that's going to liberate me and free me from the shackles of a structure that is faulty. Information isn't going to do it. Knowing truth is going to do it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To know him and the power of his resurrection. What is this sitting saying? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What it's saying is, if you want to be freed from a faulty structure to your life, if you want to move to the way that he gets it established on the rock, the way that you're going to do it is by knowing him and the resurrection and, and his resurrection power. There are two things. You will know the truth and resurrection power. How does that come about? It doesn't come about without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come about without the Holy Spirit. When you go back to creation, God conceived it, Jesus spoke it, and the Holy Spirit implemented it. It is the way that it works. It is the formula for how the, the, the Trinity work together. When it came to Jesus being born, it was God the Father's idea. Jesus said, I will be the, the word made flesh. And the Holy Spirit was the one who came upon Mary and she conceived. When Jesus walked around and he was the Christ, because he had the nature of God on the inside of him. But the only time that he started doing the miraculous was when the Holy Spirit came on him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit introduces us to power. The Holy Spirit introduces us to power. The role of the Holy Spirit is to take the unseen and to make it evidenced in our life. The role of the Holy Spirit is to take Christ in me and to reveal and show me Christ in me so that I see it and I see truth. But I don't just see truth. He, always, he also introduces me to resurrection power. Resurrection power says you don't have to live by that rotten old structure that's all convoluted and leading you to a place where, where it's unproductive. I can change that we need the power of the holy spirit to transform us that's why it's so fundamental because it's not just a case of i can manage who i am otherwise you don't need god then you go and live by your own abilities you live the way that you want to live what he's saying is there are certain things you can do in the natural but there are other things where you need the power of the anointing to make stuff happen what he's saying is you can't change yourself you might think you can bite your lip on 66 and you can do all that you want to make sure that nothing flows out of your mouth and you don't get irritable and you don't get all worked up by the time you... And you know what? It might work for a period of time. The fact of the matter is you can't change your nature. You can manage it, but you can't change it. What he's saying to us is, I need for you to change it. I need for his nature to be established in your character. And the only way that that can happen is through the Holy Spirit. 
What does Acts 1.8 says? The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witness. What is it saying? When the Holy Spirit comes and does something in your life. When the Holy Spirit's power transforms you. You become a witness. We need witnesses in this world. Do you know what? If you called into court and they sit and say to you, we want for you to act as a witness. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying, I need for you to give evidence. I'm looking for your evidence. In the words of Judge Judy, I don't want to know what you think. I don't want to know what happened. Your idea of what happened. I don't know what you think about the person. I'm not interested in that. Give me the evidence. The reason you called as a witness, the only thing that the judge is interested in is give me the evidence. The world is sitting looking at us and they're sitting saying, give me the evidence. If you're to be the witness, show me the evidence. Don't come and tell me about a Jesus who lives and a Jesus who's powerful and a Jesus who can do this, that and the next thing. Don't tell me about the Holy Spirit who's transformational. Give me the evidence. We're called to give him the evidence. That's why when we move into that place, you're called into the faith life. What is the faith life? The faith life is living from what is hoped for. It's what's defined by Christ on the inside of me. I know where he's calling me and I know what my future looks like. And he's showing me where I should be going. And he's directing my steps. And each step of the way, he's calling me to act and to live out of that place. He's calling me to allow my character to be defined by his nature so that it influences my decision making and moves me to a place where what I can do is I can start to take steps in the direction that he wants me to move. And because I act on his nature and his calling and because of what his direction is, I step out and I do some things and the actions that I take give evidence to him when Jesus says you know what the Holy Spirit says to you Heather I want you to go and pray for that person over there you've got a decision to make you want to live by faith or not and it's scary and it's intimidating and you wonder what happens if he doesn't arrive but what happens if he does What happens if he does? You see, the thing is, when we do that and we act on that and we take what the Holy Spirit does and we go and lay hands on that person and say, you know what? God just told me that you're struggling. Do you mind if I just pray with you about this? When the Holy Spirit touches them and they're healed, do you know what it is? It's a witness giving evidence. It's the witness giving evidence. I'm just letting you know the greater one's alive. It's a call to action. God is doing some stuff in our lives. And God has brought us to a place where he says, I want you to understand that you have an incredible future ahead of you. I want you to know something, that you're going to journey through that. And as you're moving through that, I want you to recognize the fact that the, that the race you're running is designed to gear you up for what your future looks like. Every step where you are exposed to something that's on the inside of you, you have a choice to make. What do you want to do with this? Because in every choice you make, you're at a place where you're defining what your character looks like. I have to make a choice. And when I make that choice and I step into that place, I move to a place where I position myself myself to allow the Holy Spirit to do incredible things in my life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about speaking in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about power. It's about power. 
The evidence that you received it is speaking in tongues. And there's some, a lot of value to speaking in tongues. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for tongues. It's for power. We have to be a church that is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, all you have to rely on is your natural gift. Your gift can take you places. But that's not what God called you to. He called you to successful living. Successful living is when I learn how to take my natural gift and marry it to the anointing on the inside of me and live from a powerful unified dimension. Heaven and earth operating as one in my life.